Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Swing a high drive straightaway center. Looks to be playable. 21 in a row to start the day for Drew Rasmus. 2-2. Two, two. And a cut the mess. He strikes him out. Ground ball to first choice. Got it. He goes to the bag and eight perfect innings for Drew Rasmussen. My goodness, has he been spectacular. First pitch, a ground ball, base hit up the left field line. And that will break the potential no-hitter and the potential perfect game. Boy, what an effort. And the fans here on their feet to give Drew Rasmussen his due. Eight perfect innings. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I know one of my favorite things almost happened over the weekend. Um, So excited to at least sort of talk about that, even though it didn't happen. Close to a perfect game. We have Aaron Judge continually being Aaron Judge. Uh, This season is ridiculous and... Uh, as a almost soon-to-be MVP voter for the year, I'm thankful for him continuing this to try to make this a little bit easier of a decision. So feel free to keep going, Judge. That's fine with me. Um, I, I think it's funny because I know that we were just talking and we were just like, yeah, the Mets are really good. Let's talk about the Mets. So the Mets are really good. Um, but I think the biggest thing is I need you to catch me up on a lot of stuff that's gone on because uh, I know we were talking. I was at Disney World all weekend and I didn't have all the time in the world to be able to check in on baseball because I was too busy running around the park chasing my husband who turns into an infant whenever he is at Disney World. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so yes, I, I was a little preoccupied. So feel free to fill me in throughout this entire podcast. Yes, I am so excited for this. We were chatting on Sunday night, and I said, hey, you know, should I just kind of catch you up on the baseball weekend? And that kind of seemed like the best thing to do. So I think what we should dive into first is sort of, What I've kind of put together, some of the weekend feats you mentioned, you alluded to Dennis, uh, Dennis, oh my gosh, uh, Rasmussen, Drew Rasmussen, not Dennis Rasmussen, which is the name from baseball history, but Drew Rasmussen almost throwing a perfect game on Sunday with feats all throughout the weekend, Aaron Judge hitting his 46th home run. The Dodgers having an epic win streak that finally came to an end on Sunday. So I just want to catch you up on all of these things. So we're kind of going to go in chronological order here to start. So on Friday, as you mentioned, Aaron Judge, 46th home run of the year. He's now at 46 through 115 team games for the Yankees. The only players to have more home runs through 115 team games in a season 
were Barry Bonds in 2001 with 49 and Babe Ruth in 1921 with 48. He is on pace for 65 home runs. What a list. Oh, my goodness. I know. Yeah, I'm like, I'm sitting here. I see the little screenshot of this that you have to remind us to talk about this. But it's like Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth. He's tied with Mark McGuire and Babe Ruth again right below that. I That's ridiculous names to be um, surrounded by whenever you're talking about anything with home runs, power. Um, I think he's having quite the special season this year and I know that I know that there's a, a a lot of guys who keep tweeting about it and there's it, it seems like MLB is focusing on it so much and there's all the national attention is going to it there's a reason there there's a reason for this I think we all need to sort of sit back and realize how special of a year this is um I, I know I have a lot of tweet notifications for a lot of the national reporters, especially on trade deadline time period. So might not need as many now that we've passed that, but you never want to miss anything that's big, especially whenever you're off like I was this weekend. And I just keep seeing tweets popping up of, yeah, this is, this is a MVP worthy season. This is uh, one of the most special seasons that we're going to see. And so it's it's important to realize in the moment, especially when you see a list with these types of names on it, like, okay, let's, let's just appreciate what we're getting to watch right now. And I think that Judge Homering has that sort of universal effect on people like what you're referring to, that you don't want to miss it. You know, I was with some friends on Saturday afternoon Long before the Yankee game started, it was the 7 Eastern game, national game on Fox. And one of my friends got a notification from some app that was sent late. And it said, wow, Judge just homered. And he says to me, oh my goodness, Judge just homered. And before logic set in, and I said, wait a minute, there's no way he homered right now. My first thought was, oh my goodness, 47, this is crazy. Starting to think through all the history, and there's just that feeling that you don't want to miss it right now. Yeah, I like the just going off of you saying that, like that's exactly how it was whenever I, I explained, I think last week, whenever Zach Meisel from The Athletic and I were on the road and it was just became kind of like a race of like who can tell the other person first that we saw the notification that Judge Homer again. And it was just like, not at, by the end of it, it seems wrong to say it, but it wasn't even surprising anymore. We're like, all right, well, when's the next one coming? It's got to be within the next two hours, I'm sure. So it's just unbelievable the pace he's on. And you know how much I love rooting for historic things with my no hitters and perfect games. And I think we'll be getting to that soon. Um, but I, I love when history happens. And so something like this, I'm like, dude, just keep going, set the record set keep going on a crazy pace right now. Um, being able to witness history, I think it's just one of the most special things about baseball because of how rich the history is. And anytime something new is done, it's just so beyond impressive. It is. And speaking of impressive, the Dodgers had this crazy win streak that finally ended against the Royals on Sunday. But through Saturday, they won 12 straight games, all of those by multiple runs. So not just a one nothing win here, a 7-6 win, what have you. Every single win by at least two runs. So they were the first team to win at least 12 straight games 
by multiple runs since the 2002 A's won 15 straight during that 20-game win streak, the very famous Moneyball A's. There had not been a National League team to do this since 1922. Now, is it harder or easier in the National League versus the American League? No, not at all. But it is very funny to think that the only team that had done that in the National League in the last 100 years was the 1922 Pirates. They won 13 straight by multiple runs. So again, the streak ended, but the Dodgers, as we talked about last week, have really solidified themselves as the absolute best team. And we were talking about them in context with the Padres, but again, the Dodgers are getting back Walker Bueller. They're getting back Dustin May, who I believe had an immaculate inning during his rehab start the other night. They are going to be a force to be reckoned with down the stretch and into the postseason. Yeah, it seems like this is now the team to beat, um, I think, for many reasons. And it was just crazy how this kind of timed out with right around the trade deadline when everyone was wondering, okay, well, what's the response going to be when you see San Diego go out and you make the biggest move of not even just this deadline, but every almost every deadline that I can remember during my lifetime, um, you have the biggest pickup possible. And it's like, okay, what's going to happen now? Your move, Dodgers, type of deal. And uh, they kind of answered. I would say this little stretch has been really impressive. Uh, And like you said, it just is sort of solidifying that they're the team to beat. And I think it's become ridiculously clear now. Uh, and I always like to know, like, I, I like to look back once we get into November, um, mid-November after the World Series is done, to look back and see, okay, is was this the team to beat? Because it's always so fun to me when you are in middle in the middle of August, when you are in the home stretch of the season, and it's like, okay, this team is hands down the best team. And then somehow something crazy happens, and they're knocked out in the DS, or somehow they're not even in the World Series, or whatever it may be. It's always, I think, so enjoyable to go back and see how crazy this game is, and how much it seems like a shoe-in that they can just run the table. Um, And even if they can, it's even impressive. It's just like, it's so difficult to keep that going for so long. It's still only mid-August. I know it's getting more exciting for the postseason now because you're starting to see it at the end of the tunnel, but that tunnel is still pretty long. We still have a little bit of ways to go. So um, either way, I think at at these points in the season when it's such a clear cut, okay, this team's really good, it's always so fun to go back at the end of the year and be like, how did this play out? Because right now it seems like, goodness, how the heck is anyone going to take down the Dodgers? We'll see. And of course, you know, that team does not always win the World Series, as you're saying. I mean, I think back to the Mariners and 01, there's so many instances, even some of the best Dodger teams, you know, they won in 2020. But that team was really good in 2017. They're really good in 18. They've been really good for a long time. So you still have to go through the entire 162-game grind and then into the postseason. So who knows what will be next there. But I do want to get to, as you alluded to at the top, 
a very exciting thing that almost, almost happened on Sunday. So Drew Rasmussen, no relation to Dennis Rasmussen, who I mentioned at the top, threw eight perfect innings for the Rays against the Orioles on Sunday afternoon. We have not had a perfect game in Major League Baseball since on this date, August 15th, 2012 that was Felix Hernandez if you remember in 2012 there were three perfect games Philip Humber in April Matt Cain in June and then King Felix in August it's the only season in baseball history to have as many as three perfect games and now we have not had one in this long we are sitting here talking to each other on August 15, 2022 and that streak almost ended the day before the anniversary. He was so close, he was so dominant and you and I have talked about this many many times on many platforms but I'm not sure we've talked about it here. But we are always rooting for history to happen in the baseball industry and sports in general. You know, there being a no-hitter or a perfect game can certainly cause more work for people. You know, a normal game, you know, a 5-2 win, we know exactly how the postgame goes, all of that, especially on your end as a reporter. If something historic happens, there's certainly a bit more to write on my end, as a researcher, we're writing a story for .com with the top stats and facts to know about the event, about the game. But I always want to be doing those things. I am always rooting for the no-hitter, for the perfect game. And I was really hoping this would happen for Drew Rasmussen. But I was thinking of you and the fact that you were probably not watching because you were at Disney, I didn't want you to miss a perfect game. Well, I, because I guess I already mentioned this, I, I started to get all the notifications where um, I think I saw Bob Nightingale tweet that we're the three outs away from something really special happening or something was alluding to it. I'm like, uh-oh, what's going on? And so, of course, I immediately have to stop in my tracks wherever we were and figure this out. So then my husband and I are only invested in this and Disney now does not matter at all. And so we're just sitting there trying to update our feeds. We're trying to get as much service as we can to try to figure this out. Um, I'm convinced I'm the jinx because I know the baseball gods know how much I want these types of things. And so as soon as I tune into anything, um, it, it really just seems like it dissipates right away. Like it's immediate. So, uh, I take full blame for that because I, I was able to start paying attention in the ninth inning. And of course that's whenever everything, uh, the wheels fell off the cart there for this history. But like you said, I mean, that's just something that's a little bit different in the baseball world than, or the reporting world than maybe the fan world of, the outlook is, uh-oh, sometimes from reporters where it's, I don't know if I really want this to happen because there's going to be so much extra stuff to do. There's going to be so much extra hype to it. And I think everyone in every press box hates me because I'm sitting there every game like, all right, no hits yet. We're through one. And they're like, oh my gosh, would you stop it? And I'm like, nope, 
nope, not gonna, not gonna stop until uh, both both teams uh, end up getting a hit, and then I can be depressed for the rest of the night, and then hope again tomorrow. But uh, I love history. I think it's the best part of this game. It's so fun, and it's cool to see things. Um, I've obviously now covered losing no hitters, but I've never covered a winning one. Uh, and I think it would be ridiculously fun to see a perfect game uh, and and those types of things. I don't know. I think that must just be the inner baseball fan in me that just won't die. Um, and it's just I don't I don't care what that causes the, the chaos that it causes for me. I think it's just let's just have the best possible outcome for baseball. Um, so it's it sucks that it was so close. And I apologize to all for being the jinx as always. But um it's 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 just fun to be able to at least be that close and just have something like that to even talk about. I am obligated right now to point out that I was at one of the 23 perfect games in MLB history. Uh, David Cohn's perfect game back in 1999, which also came up yesterday because David Cohn threw just 88 pitches in that perfect game against the Expos. And Drew Rasmussen was on pace to be about around there, maybe in the 90s, in terms of pitch count, had he gotten it in the ninth there. David Cohn's 88 pitches are the fewest in a perfect game since pitch counts have been tracked. If you Google, you get some stuff about Addy Joss way back in the day. They were not counting pitches before 1988, so I'm sure that's true, but we certainly don't know for every perfect game in MLB history. We stick with what we know, which is since 88, David Cohn, 88 pitches in 1999 is the fewest. And speaking of David Cohn, who was not at the time on the Mets, but he was previously on the Mets, so I'm going to use that as a transition to talk a little bit about the Mets who are really, really good. So last week, we talked about the Dodgers, and earlier today, we've talked about them, how they're really the class of the National League. And we do have to acknowledge there is another really good team in the National League as well. They don't have the borderline historic run differential that the Dodgers have, but the Mets are really, really good. So they're 35 games above 500. It's the first time since 2006 that they were at least 35 games over. But they haven't been more than 35 games over since 1988. These are the banner years in Mets history. 06, they didn't win the World Series, but they were very, very good. 88, same thing. Then you get 86. These are the notable years in Mets history. And this team is on that level in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I mean, I guess like like I said, I mean, it's it can get difficult, not even just whenever you're not working for a weekend or something, when you're so locked in on your team that you're covering or you're so locked in on just the division that you're covering or even just the league that you're in, it can be difficult to keep up with everything that's going on every single day. And so I started to see that the Braves have been pretty much on a little bit of a roll like we had talked about before. I saw that, what, they had won six straight or something like that. I'm like, oh, man, that, that NL East must be really interesting. And so I remember 
I think it was even this morning. Every day blends together. So this morning feels like it was last week. Um, I was looking, I was looking at that. I'm like, man, this, the NL East must be pretty, pretty tight. And you see that the Mets are up five and a half games and they're, the Braves are on a six game win streak. The Braves have 70 wins. And I'm like, oh, this has to be tight. It doesn't have to be tight because the Mets have been that good. And I think it's, it's crazy to me that I don't want to say the national attention isn't there, but it's just not as is it seems talked about of how good this team actually is because the Dodgers are, of course, stealing that spotlight and rightfully so because they've been unbelievable. But I I keep saying it to people that I don't I don't know if I would sleep on the Mets whenever you think about what this postseason could be like. Um, I know the Dodgers seem to have everything going in their favor, and every year they seem to have like a roster that could really, really make a run. But the Mets have been just as good, it seems like, in, in so many different ways. And so I don't know. I think going into this postseason, the Mets are the team that I think I'm keeping the closest eye on because as much as it seems like every time that the Braves are doing something or any time that the Dodgers are doing things and you're starting to look around like, okay, there's some other teams that are gaining steam. It's like, well, the Mets are just being so consistently good um, that, I don't know, I think they're a really, really exciting team going into this postseason. And we're not even really in the final days of the regular season yet. No other team has trumpets. I mean, we didn't get to talk about this last week, but what I think that the Edwin Diaz walkout song finally went viral last Sunday, so a week ago and a day. And it's funny to me because I'm in the New York area. I, I mean, I watch every game, so I've been seeing him walk out to that song since since the pandemic when no one's in the stands, of course, in 2020. And then again, last year and now this year. And a huge credit to the SNY director, I believe his name is John DeMarsico, who has really been trying to shoot the uh, walkout in a very artistic way. And the way he did it last Sunday, that thing went viral. I feel like it was a TikTok challenge, all of these things you don't know what we're talking about go search edwin diaz trumpets but he comes out to this great song there's trumpets at the beginning he jogs out to the beat you can tell he's jogging to the beat it has that sort of imposing nature without being quite on the same level of like a hell's bells or enter sandman there's also sort of a happiness to it Mr. and Mrs. Met have their own trumpets. I saw something from Anthony Decoma over the weekend that I believe they kind of like turned out the lights or turned out the uh, scoreboard lights so that it was darker when he came in recently. So, you know, intangibles don't win you a World Series directly. Uh, but it's certainly true that as someone who has been around the Mets in some way or another for her whole life, this team has that feeling to them, certainly the way the 06 team did and the way the 2015 team did down the stretch. And you got to credit the trumpets at some point. Well, you also have to credit the fact that they uh, took a day of, of walking out to some legendary songs uh, for, I think, were you at that game that day that they did that? I was, I was. Was it Jeff McNeil who did Hillary Duff? Yes. 
So it was uh, Women's Day at City Field. I believe it was last Wednesday. And before the game, in the game notes, the Mets put out that in honor of Women's Day at City Field, a couple Mets batters and the starting pitcher have selected female artists to walk out to. And there was a playlist that they put up. So Taiwan Walker had Run the World Girls by Beyonce. Pia Alonso had Edge of 17. As you mentioned, Jeff McNeil had What Dreams Are Made Of from the Lizzie McGuire movie. James McCann had Wannabe by Spice Girls. But I was going to use this as my favorite moment in baseball. But since you brought it up now, I'll have to pivot. Daniel Vogelback came out to the song Milkshake, and we're just going to leave it at that, but it was incredible. And I believe his postgame quote was along the lines of, hey, the boys want it, so I did it. It was incredible. (laughs) It was the best moment in baseball history. I'm sticking with that. Wow, I just spoiled all of the fun for the end of the show. So that's my bad. But it's hard for me as soon as I hear anything that's with Hillary Duff for me to wait until the end of the show to talk about it. So, I mean, it's only fitting that I jump the gun there because mad props to that huge, huge Hillary Duff fan from my childhood. But um, since I spoiled it, uh, I'll just run out of this topic right now and we can uh, get into a lot more other things. And I can give you time to now think of a backup because I've now ruined that. So uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk more good teams right now and how fun they've been. We got Mariners. We have Corey Seager doing things. Let's get into all of that when we come back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, Researcher and Reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I know that the large majority of this show has been talking about really good teams in baseball. So uh, let's just keep that trend going because it seems like the, uh, the Mariners are also trying to make a statement in that regard. The Mariners have an 85% chance to make the playoffs as of us talking right now. The Mariners, if you don't know, have the longest active playoff drought in Major League Baseball, I believe in any of the four major North American sports. And so the idea that the Mariners could finally make the playoffs, I know for me, just as a fan of the game overall, I want to see them make it just so we can stop talking about this stretch of not being in the postseason since 2001, but also because this is a fan base that has been so energized this year. And I think that's what's really exciting is that it's not just, oh, they seem really well poised to make the postseason and end that drought, but it's not just that. It's that this is a good team. This is an exciting team. 
this isn't just snapping the drought because there's an extra wild card or anything like that. This is a well-deserving club. And, of course, uh, you know, Julio Rodriguez just came back recently. His wrist seems fine. He's back to being himself in all of the best ways. And they're really, really fun to watch. I think having a player who's taken the national spotlight like uh, Julio Rodriguez has done, I think having that platform, obviously to go with the history of it, of snapping the drought, you have a a player like that who really took advantage of the opportunity he was given at the All-Star break to make a name for himself more than just in the northwest part of the country. Uh, I think that could be really, really great for baseball to have this team come in. You have that history behind it. You have one of the most exciting faces, young faces in the game. Um, You can just, you can really market that. You can really build that up. And I think that could be really, really enjoyable to watch. But this wild card race is so ridiculously close that, I mean, the Mariners are in a tough spot because they're in the same division as the Astros. And so you're trying to catch the Astros, but that's difficult. And so you have to focus on that AL wild card. And that, that is just a complete mess right now because everyone is so close you I mean the Orioles are thrown into the mix of this and that's not something I thought I was saying whenever uh we're back in February I could not have ever guessed that that's a statement I'd be making mid-August but I mean you look at how how close everything is you have Toronto and Seattle so close um in those wild card spots you have to the the Rays that are right there you have whoever's going to end up being in the second spot of this AL Central division whether it's the White Sox the Twins or the Guardians eventually they're going to be right in the mix of it all so I think that that's going to be fun down the stretch um you have this expanded playoff format, and yet now it still seems like there's not enough spots for everyone to go around because there's so many teams that have almost identical records right now. So um, I do think it would be fun for baseball, fun for a lot of people, though, if we can if we can watch Julio Rodriguez in the postseason, watch the Mariners and that drought, and of course, for Sarah's sake, so that we can all stop talking about the drought being there. Yes, I don't like to talk about bad things, so if it ends, (laughs) we don't have to talk about it. But yeah, I mean, what I love about this team is that what they're doing is translating to what we're seeing in terms of results. And what I mean by that is that last year, they were a team that hung around for a decent amount of time throughout the year in that wildcard race. They were always kind of outside looking in but they weren't totally out of it and I think there were a lot of fans not just fans of the team but fans of baseball who thought at various points that maybe maybe they could end up in the playoffs last year but the thing was they had this very low run differential it was a big negative number and a lot of what they were doing wasn't exactly true based on the stats underlying it so what i'm saying is that they were winning games but numbers said maybe they shouldn't have been they were doing things like leading the majors and one run wins which is important to do but those can be fluky this year they're leading the majors and one run wins they have a positive run differential 
and it just feels a lot more like it isn't smoke and mirrors, if that makes sense. It does. No, it seems more tangible for sure. And it seems like something that is a possibility, a real possibility. I think the way that this is setting up down the stretch could be some of the most exciting regular season finishes to a year for all of these races than we've had in a long time. And so I think it's setting up to be really fun. But that doesn't mean that only teams who are in contention right now, only teams who are in this race right now are fun. I know one of the people that we really want to get to is on a team that's, well, in that same division as the Mariners, but not as exciting, not as, as successful this year. But you have the Rangers and you have still topics to continue to follow because, well, Corey Seager's giving us reasons to talk about him. And I know that that was one topic that you were like, yep, we're going to get to this today. Yes. So I've been keeping track of this list for the last week or so of the best weighted runs created plus since June 15th. So I think we've talked about this stat, but all you need to know with it is that 100 is league average. It's measuring offensive contributions. So if you're at 110, that's 10% better than league average, so on and so forth. So I was keeping track of this because Adley Rutschman is top 10 in way to runs created plus since June 15th. We talked about him a lot last week with David Adler. But someone else on that list of best WRC plus since June 15th who stood out to me because I was not expecting his name to be there is Corey Seager. So if you take a look at this list of best WRC plus since June 15th, we have Aaron Judge, Nolan Arenado, Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, Juan Soto, Jordan Alvarez, and then we have Corey Seager and Alex Bregman tied with each other. You know, Seager has certainly been maybe out of the spotlight compared to previous seasons, signing that deal with the Rangers and the fact that he's not on the Dodgers, he's not on that world-beating team that we mentioned. And I feel like the narrative early in the season was that he and Semyon, Marcus Semyon, who they both signed there in the offseason, had kind of gotten off to bad starts. But if you take a look at what Corey Seager has done this season, He homered, I believe it was yesterday, to tie his career high in home runs. He now has 26, which is tied for the same number he had in 2016 when he won Rookie of the Year with the Dodgers. He had 26 homers in 157 games that year. He has 26 home runs in just 108 games now. And he's not hitting the way he had in terms of for average over the previous two years, which were, of course, you know, he dealt with a lot of injuries. And his slugging is not necessarily where it had been, but he is playing out of his mind since June 15th. And if you take a look at StatCast numbers, he's really crushing the ball and doing all of those things that we expected he would do when he came over to the Rangers. Yeah, when you brought this up, I was like, why are we talking about Corey Seager again? Um, and I was like, did something happen that I missed? And so I just I started looking into him and I, and I saw that you had some stuff there since June 15th. And I'm like, wait a second. He's in the mix with some of the best names so far that we've heard about all season. 
how have we not heard about him uh, like the whole season with everybody else? And so I started looking on just like his baseball reference page, just something basic. And I know that he was an all-star this year, obviously. Um, So I like, I, I get that, but it's also like, okay, you need representatives from each team. And so uh, maybe he was just the best option for the Rangers. And so I, I just didn't really put together that he was having a, decent season like you had said because you're so used to seeing the numbers that he had with the Dodgers or just more talked about with the Dodgers um, and you look at his average and he's floating around 250 and it's like okay whatever that's he's having a fine year his OPS is fine but when I saw that you had that June 15th number I was looking up since he had been since June 15th and he's hitting nearly 300 his OPS is sitting like at 967 or whatever it is um, I'm thinking oh my gosh okay so this guy has been a completely different player since the summer rolled around uh, and he's been worthy of all the same conversations that everyone else has gotten it seems like on that list all summer long and so uh, I think it's funny that you said that you were sort of surprised by it too um, whenever you're following this the stat of WRC plus of since June 15th and you're putting this list together to see that you're surprised by it um, at least makes me feel better to, that I was completely blindsided that we were talking about him um, so I was just like wow uh, I had no idea so this sort of at least brought some light to me that okay Corey Seager's still doing Corey Seager type things and that's um that's always nice to see whenever you, you know you, you know the names and so when they start to fall off it's not it's it sucks to see because you like to see those names especially on teams that don't always get the same recognition of the Dodgers would have whenever he was there and so it's fun to see whenever players can bring that type of attention to teams like the Texas Rangers and bringing more attention to them um, and he's he's certainly done that very quietly apparently but he's starting to do that more since the summer months rolled around so that was that was a fun discovery for me too whenever you were like yep we're talking about uh Siegs. I love that you looked up the since June 15th I was going to drop that on you next the more traditional stats so Mandy mentioned hitting close to 300 and uh the OPS of 967 so just to put that in context through June 14th, he was hitting 223 on base of 286, slugging of 403 for an OPS of 690. So just in comparison, this isn't, oh, we missed his whole season. This is, okay, now we're noticing he's been really good since the middle of June. He was not doing this all year, but he is doing this now. And just to put some stat behind that as well, He's in the 90th percentile or better in expected batting average and expected slugging percentage, which tell us that what he's doing is backed by underlying stats. So the launch angle, exit velocity, the quality of contact he's making is in line with what he's actually doing, which is a really good thing to hear if you are a Rangers fan. Yeah, I would say. Um, not to just completely, you know, cut Corey Seager off short here, because I, I definitely think he deserves the time and attention of what he's done since June. But Sarah, I am actually ready to go for my best moment in baseball this week, which I'm never ready to go for these. So we're going to go to a quick break so that we can come back and I can actually be 
well prepared for the best moment in baseball from this week, even though I already derailed your plan. Um, but I'm going to be selfish here because I'm ready to go. So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, as I've said, we'll have our favorite moments from baseball from the past week. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed reporter for MLB.com, and the wonderful Sarah Langs, reporter and researcher for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, okay, um, am I allowed to put you on the spot now and say go for it and you go first, or do you need to collect yourself after I derailed your plans of talking about milkshake earlier in the pod? I got this. I got this. You know, as I said, I was leaning that way, but... You know, we've had all different types of moments so far. What is this, episode seven? I always pause to think Think we're episode seven, regardless of what number it is. We've had the heartwarming, we've had the fun, the funny, all of it. That would have been the fun and funny. I'm going to go with the heartwarming instead. Winton Bernard making his major league debut for the Rockies at 31 years old on Friday. This is a guy who spent 10 seasons in professional affiliate baseball, finally, finally gets the call to go to the majors. And the Rockies, well, actually, I think it first came from the Albuquerque Isotopes, which was the minor league affiliate he was with. They posted a video of him FaceTiming his mother saying, Mom, I'm going to the major leagues. I'm finally going. And her reaction, I'm getting chills right now just talking about it, was such a wonderful moment. And to see his family there for him at the game in Colorado, he had bat knobs that had pictures of him and his mom and him and his late father. I mean, just seems like an outstanding individual to grind away for all of that time in the minors and elsewhere, and then to finally make it and have an infield hit and a stolen base in his debut. I mean, it was incredible. I love call-up stories so much. And so this year, especially because I'm covering the Guardians, who are the most young, like the youngest team that I can ever remember um, covering, it's just like... There's been so many, and at the time of us recording this on Monday, August 15th, they're going to have their 14th today um, because Xavier Curry is going to be starting in the second game of their doubleheader. Um, and each story is always so special to each guy. Each guy has their own journey. Some guys are there so quick after getting drafted. Some guys, it's taking a little bit longer, but... 
I think that each one is so emotional and it's so fun to see the human side. I've talked to a couple parents this year whenever they're watching their kids make their debuts and seeing the parents get so into it is always, oh my gosh, I love it. It just, everything about it is so much fun, but I can't even imagine because yeah, some of the guys that I've covered this year have waited a little bit longer, but they're still 24, 25, 26 years old. I couldn't imagine being able to see firsthand that moment for someone who's into his 30s to have waited for so long to experience this and to be able to share that with his family who you know has had to go through this as much as he has, if not more, of just feeling that pain for him, of knowing how badly he wants something and seeing all the work behind the scenes of trying to get there and not getting there until now. I absolutely love that stuff. Um, It's my favorite thing. I could go on and on and on about it. And so um, I know that you were concerned for a minute there that we would have the same ones uh, for our picks this week. Um, clearly because of how special that stuff is to me too. Uh, and so that would be fitting for me to pick that, but I went with a little bit funnier slash sad slash still funny, uh, moment from the week. I saw a clip over the weekend. I think it was Sunday, the Tigers, Tigers, White Sox game where this child is sitting in the stands And he's sitting there enjoying the game, about to knock down a hot dog, like fully thriving in his element. And he goes, he's sitting, he's sitting there with dad. He goes to lift up the hot dog, which is basically the same size as he is. And he's lifting it up to his face, but he doesn't recognize that the actual dog part of the hot dog is starting to (laughs) leave the bun and starts to dip over the bun. And before he can recognize it, the actual hot dog is on the ground and he's left with a bun in his hands. And so I'm in that moment watching this clip of, oh my gosh, my heart is breaking for this child because I don't know how he's about to react. Like, is he going to cry? Is he going to be really upset? Is dad going to be mad at him because he just went and got this hot dog and now it's completely spoiled on the ground? His reaction to it was so incredible. He had, like, the emoji that's the facepalm emoji of just, like, that um, frustration, embarrassed moment. He depicted that emoji right in that moment of having the textbook facepalm and just smacked himself in the forehead and just was like disappointed in himself but in like this mature way for this young child who was probably like what five years old six years old just sitting there and the way that he handled it was just like this adult man who was just like all right let's add it to the list another thing that didn't go my way today and had this smirk on his face so while he was doing it thought his reaction was hilarious when I saw that on Twitter I was like yep this child is channeling me because that's what I would do in that moment and so I absolutely like it's sad that he lost his hot dog but that moment was so comical that I was like yeah this is this is my favorite moment from this week I love that when you said yours was funny I was like I know where she's going then 
And we know cute kids in baseball is the Mandy. You know, that's your heat map. You know, they show <laughs> hot zones, cold zones for batters. That is Mandy's kitchen, is <laughs> cute kids and baseball. So I love that. It was adorable. I'm glad he wasn't upset. And, you know, just we've all been there. But, hey, you know, he was at the game. He was enjoying it. And I love to see little fans in the stands. I know they'll always be there. But I'm always so, you know, just glad to see them there, enjoying the game, enjoying the atmosphere, doing all the things that we did when we were kids to really learn how much we love this game. So he will probably remember that moment. And (laughs) hey, he will have gone viral. So there's that too, right? Poor child has this core memory now just stapled everywhere as it's gone viral. So uh, anyway, um, I think I need to get back into the game. I know I'm, I'm sitting outside of the ballpark right now about to go watch a doubleheader for the day. So we'll wrap this up now. I can go scout out and try to find more adorable children that we can talk about next week. Um, but that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from everybody. Uh, Thank you for listening once again to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.